good afternoon today, apes. Thank you guys so much for joining our much later than usual live stream here this afternoon. This is currently 2.03 p.m. here on the east coast of the United States on this beautiful Tuesday, January 30th, 2024. Thank you guys again for joining us here today on the live. Shout out to everybody listening later on on the podcast, on the YouTube channel, or whatever else it may be. Do you guys know what's going on today? We have Daily Peel edition number 636. We're talking about everything that happened in markets yesterday, impacting the movements up today. We had quite uh, quite an exciting day in markets overall, even though it's relatively choppy. It's relatively, uh, you know, nothing's moving too much in either direction, but it's been a choppy session, and that's only going to get more and more exciting here tonight as we start to get some big tech earnings from names like Microsoft. Uh, we got Alphabet coming out tonight here, too. We'll definitely be writing about that for you guys tomorrow, but I do have a bit of an announcement here to let you guys know, uh, especially all you listeners to the live stream out there. We will not be going live tomorrow and not again until about Thursday of next week. Uh, I myself am going on a little bit of a vacation, so I won't be here to talk to you guys about those big tech earnings. We'll certainly be writing about them. Even though we're not going live, we still want to hear all your thoughts at the same time. So make sure to shoot us a message, shoot us an email or anything like that if you have comments. Uh, just let us know what you're thinking and, uh, you know, we can always hack it out. As we always say, we want all the smoke from you guys all the time. So let us know where we're wrong uh, and, of course, where we're right. All right. But I'm diving into today's edition, excuse me, uh, essentially, we got a lot to cover here today. We have some interesting macro news on the uh, Federal Reserve side of things. I know the big story of the week here is going to be that Fed meeting. We also got job numbers coming out on Friday. Really busy week here. Certainly a tough time for me to be abandoning you guys and not being able to comment on this stuff. But we do have some interesting stuff coming out on Wednesday as well at 8.30 before that Federal Reserve meeting, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. The Treasury is going to be publishing their quarterly refunding announcement. We're going to talk about all of that stuff. And then we got quite a lot of videos for you guys here today. Once we get into the what's right and what's rotten sections, once we're talking about the stocks, we'll be uh, outsourcing some of our knowledge to people who actually know what it is that they're talking about, as opposed to myself. And then, of course, we'll finish up with uh, a check-in on the spot Bitcoin ETF market. Now, a lot of you guys may have noticed here as well today, we had some issues with deliverability. The addition today may not have been your inbox. Do apologize for that, of course. And uh, it could be something related to how many times we said the phrase BTC or the email address that it was sent from. We got a couple of things mixed up here yesterday. And Google really does not like it when you mention anything related to crypto, digital assets, uh, Bitcoin, any kind of phraseology like that. It'll set off red flags for them. Uh, much like somebody wearing Crocs to a first date, it's a huge red flag. And so that with our email systems, they don't really mesh too well when we say a bunch of that stuff. So do apologize if you weren't able to get it here today. If you didn't get it and you still want to, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to forward over the edition. I'll also be sharing it on my LinkedIn profile here later on today. But all right, enough of that nonsense. Let's get into some market snapshot action of the day. Super solid day for WSO Alpha portfolio yesterday, rising 1.03%. Just under the performance of the NASDAQ, rising 1.12% on the session. And we are officially gaining right, or we're officially back over the S&P 500. So, I mean, like we've been saying this whole time, it's just way too easy to beat the market uh, when you're benchmarking against the S&P. That's why we benchmark against the NASDAQ, because we're here for the challenge. I mean, what else can we really say? They're up nearly 4% on the year. Bitcoin and Ethereum had super strong days yesterday and have continued to, uh, at least the last time I checked here this morning, uh, officially in positive territory for 2024. All right, and then, Crazy news broke late in the evening yesterday. We got it from none other than Elon Musk, the king of crazy news himself. His other startup that everybody always forgets about is called Neuralink. These people are absolutely insane. Uh, this is right out of a sci-fi magazine or movie or something like that. Essentially, they're inserting computer chips into 
human brains, uh, beginning with quadriplegics and paralyzed people, so that it can kind of recover whatever's gone wrong in the circuitry of their brain. I don't know why I'm trying to explain it when we have this video to pull up. So let's just go to that video instead. Honestly, my mind is blown. I know this was coming, but actually when you when you read it first thing in the morning or you see it on, on X, you kind of think, wow, it's really happening. So, I mean, is this good or bad? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, hopefully it's, it's a good uh, a good development. And obviously, uh, Elon Musk has always said he wants to uh, develop these kind of technologies in a, uh, a kind of safe and responsible way for humankind. So hopefully he's going to be true to that. I mean, it's, it's you know, very early stage and there's a huge amount of trials uh, and an evaluation to kind of uh, go to take place before we're kind of anywhere for this kind of being a mainstream development. But yeah, you know, the, the kind of, I guess the thing that's exciting for me is that kind of it's helpful for people from a health perspective yes. but for yeah. you know the the potential to all right i mean those guys seem just as unqualified to be talking about neuralink as myself so i guess there's no difference there but definitely some crazy stuff check it out on x because it's kind of all the rage here today and especially it was last night uh, so definitely stay tuned on that i mean if you want superpowers in the future this seems like the perfect opportunity but are you willing to get a computer chip implemented into your brain Personally, I think you'd have to pay me billions of dollars in order to do so. But let me know what you guys think, if anybody's on board or if anybody wants to be that second patient in the trial there. All right, and then getting back into some macro market news here. Uh, the Wall Street Journal published an edition yesterday describing the problem that the Fed is creating with real rates. Given that inflation has fallen so much and rates remain incredibly elevated, it's becoming quite the challenge for a lot of companies in terms of financing and especially uh, a lot of people in terms of you know anything buying anything that they actually need credit for. Uh, so it's, it could be the new big problem facing the Fed. We'll talk more about that in just a minute when we get into our macro story of the day. And then, of course, Big Lizzie Dubs, Elizabeth Warren, Senator from my home state of Massachusetts, represent, I mean, she is, you know, and I won't comment on that, but she is back on j back to start cutting rates like a damn barbershop over here. Uh, she was absolutely slamming Powell the entire time that he was raising rates, thinking that he was intentionally killing uh, the job market, which he absolutely was doing. That is completely fair, but uh, Elizabeth Warren didn't turn to the second page of her economics textbook, apparently, because it clearly shows that she has no understanding of why rates are actually being raised. All right, and that's finally, global freight costs spiked as much as 140% over the past month. Much of this is due to the Houthi rebels and their attacks in the Red Sea. Uh, the U.S. is certainly firing back over there. I mean, we could be, you know, seeing the early days of World War III going on here, rates. It's definitely an exciting time. Hope all you American men out there are ready to get drafted here and any other countries that have a draft. Uh, you'll be right alongside in the front lines with me there. So can't wait to see you. But we do have some uh, other very important news here to go over today before we get into the uh, actual macro edition. So this is something I wanted to give you guys an update on because it's something that we talked about relatively recently. Uh, but do you guys remember this person? I know it's tough to see right here, but you might remember the thumbnail of this clip. This was the individual, it's a, a girl, I don't know her name, but she has this great account on Instagram and TikTok where she posts a lot of business advice that's geared towards women. Phenomenal purpose. Absolutely love to see that going on. But if I go ahead and click on this original video that started with a fire, uh, of course, I don't have a TikTok account. I don't get that spyware. But this is what it shows me when I click on that. So she did go ahead and delete these videos. And in case anybody doesn't remember, the second these videos were posted, everybody on X, especially on TikTok Twitter's account, uh, Every single person on X was jumping down her throat for circular transactions and committing legitimate wire fraud, legitimate bank fraud, like, and then just posting it over the internet. She even had the gall to defend herself and say, no, this isn't illegal. These videos are now down. 
definitely stay tuned for this because I think we have our newest Bernie Madoff, and she goes by the name of P.S. Milan on Twitter and Instagram. Again, great account, great purpose. I don't want to be making fun of somebody chasing their bag, but when you're doing blatantly illegal shit and posting it on the internet, I mean, come on, what can you even say to that? Like, we'll see exactly what goes on there, but for now, we can just go ahead and get into the macro story of the day. So I'm not going to lie to you guys, this was a confusing one here. I did my best to kind of prevent this, present this in a short and understandable manner, but quantitative tightening, tightening excuse me, is continually well underway, despite the fact that everybody is focusing on easing side of the coin now. Quantitative tightening is still uh, kind of front page news in the sense that that's what's actively going on. Even if they're talking about doing things like slowing the roll-off of the balance sheet, even cutting rates as early as March, because they're certainly not going to be cutting on Wednesday. But there's a little bit of quantitative tightening going on behind the scenes on both the fiscal side as well as the monetary side. For those of you that don't have uh, that haven't taken, you know, monetary economics 101, the monetary side is the central bank, it's the Federal Reserve, whereas the fiscal side is the U.S. Treasury. So. Uh, you could kind of think of it as the fiscal side is what we kind of elect in via the presidential election, whereas the monetary policy side is a little bit less like that. Uh, either way, that's basically the way that it works. And on both sides of that coin, we're seeing a little bit of implied quantitative tightening going on. Really, it's a reduction in liquidity on both ends of the spectrum. And the first side comes from the U.S. Treasury. Tomorrow at 8.30 a.m., like I mentioned at the top of the video here today, we'll be getting the quarterly refunding announcement. This is a completely obscure report from the Treasury that nobody ever paid attention to prior to, you know, Jay Powell and Jay Yell dumping trillions and trillions of dollars onto the economy uh, back in 2020, 2021. That's when people really started to pay attention because that's when our deficits started to spike enormously and our national debt uh, ballooned past that 120, 100% level. Uh, and so basically what they do is they come out once a quarter and say how much they're going to need to borrow for that come quarter when the treasury says we need to borrow this much that is how much debt they're going to be issuing so the higher the amount is the more liquidity that's going to be available in the system but that also means that the treasury is in need of more money which can definitely shake investors especially when we're coming up close to uh debt crises government shutdowns relatively recently so as you can see the uh U.S. Treasury issuances up around, uh, I mean, these are enormous levels. This only goes back to December of 2022, which was certainly a mistake for me to include just these years. But this has been an absolute rip in terms of the overall funding that the Treasury needs each quarter. So they expect that in the final quarter of last year, they raked up about $766 billion. This year, they're so broke that they need another $760 billion for the first quarter of the year in order to actually pay their debts. So, of course, they're looking to get that lended to them. Just, you know, they're actively doing what all these horrible companies do that nobody should ever invest in, in the sense that they're loaded up with so much debt that can't make the interest payment. So they're issuing more debt to do so. And it is the U.S. government, so it's a little bit different. They can't just change the laws and really do whatever the fuck they want. So uh, it's not like these companies doing so. But if you think of it like that, it's a tough situation. So that's what's going on here. But the other side of it is what we call the Yellen pivot. So Typically, what the U.S. government will do is issue more longer dated securities um, as it, you know, just gives a little bit more certainty into the situation when they know they're going to be paying a certain rate for much longer. But with the Yellen pivot, essentially what they're doing is increasing the percentage of the total Treasury issuance. That is bills instead of notes or bonds. Bills refers to Treasuries that are going to mature in under a year, under two years, depends on who you're talking to for that definition. But essentially, this changes up the debt mixture quite a bit. Uh, some people get a little bit worried when it's more on the short-term side of things that it could uh, you know, be one more expensive. Typically, that's not going to be the case, but that is the case right now, whereas these financing 
Whereas, uh, you know, yields on treasury securities are completely out of whack. It's something arguably unprecedented that we haven't seen in history before. So it's an interesting pivot. It's not necessarily crucial to the liquidity issue, but what it does here is allows these money market funds that have trillions of dollars parked in uh, reverse repo accounts at the Federal Reserve to actually put that money to use and earn a decent rate of return by investing in treasuries, uh, treasury bills that are yielding, you know, north of four and a half, five percent still to this day. So it allows them to do something, kind of takes advantage of that liquidity. So at the same time, keep in mind here, what they're going to, what they're looking to do is reduce the amount that they're going to be looking for in the quarterly refunding announcements. They did say in their estimates that they released at the beginning of this week that Q2 of 2024, they're only going to be looking to raise somewhere in the range of about 200 to 250 billion in terms of overall issuance. So that reduction is going to be quite the reduction in liquidity. And that's really the main point here is treasury issuance reducing. That's a fall in liquidity overall. And at the same time, we're seeing a reduction in liquidity on the monetary side of things too, through the bank term funding program. So the bank term funding program, for those of you who weren't around during the absolute crisis and calamity that happened last March, SVB went down. I lost a ton of money on that investment personally. I was actively buying SVB shares the day that they went bankrupt because I didn't understand the difference between health maturity and available for sale. Uh, that's a fun trivia fact. I think I lost about $1,000 in a couple of hours there. Definitely feel free to make fun of me for that one. But that's when the bank term funding program was initiated. So what happened here was the Federal Reserve decided, hey, maybe banks collapsing isn't the best idea for our country. So they created this new line of liquidity that was meant to be easy access for them. I believe the spread here was about 10 basis points above the IORB, which is the interest on overnight reserves. It's basically uh, the primary the primary rate tool that the Fed uses to set the effective federal funds rate. And so they try to keep it more expensive than the IORB because the IORB is what these companies are going to earn when they deposit funds at the Fed. So as long as they're paying more uh, on the IOR, on the bank term funding program than they are earning on the IORB, it's all fine. But that broke when that broke in about December when rates started plummeting, thanks to that quote unquote dovish pivot that the Federal Reserve took. So when rates plummeted, the cost of the bank term funding program sunk below that IORB rate and tr- banks, it didn't take them very long to spot the arbitrage opportunity. So they could essentially park funds at the Federal Reserve from the IORB uh, while paying the bank term funding program. So they are completely arbitraging J-Pow and the rest of the boys. J-Pow obviously could not stand for this. So immediately he first jacked up the actual cost of the bank term funding program and uh, said that there were going to be no new loans issued after that March 11th date which is ironically one year after the bank term funding program was created. But as you can see here, this is right about when that uh, when that arbitrage opportunity was created. We can see a huge spike in the utilization of the bank term funding program. So what's happening here is a simple reduction in liquidity by taking away this facility for credit for these banks and other institutions. Uh, so on both sides of the equation, from the fiscal side of things, we're seeing Janet Yellen and the Treasury actively trying to reduce liquidity in the terms of bond issuance, whereas the Federal Reserve is reducing liquidity in terms of credit facilities that these uh, firms are going to need in emergency situations or really just to access capital whenever they need it. So we're seeing a reduction in liquidity on both the monetary and fiscal side. That sneaky quantitative tightening that nobody's talking about. Um, so at that point, that is kind of exactly what we're seeing right now. And going forward, that's kind of a, it's an unspoken concern that nobody's really talking about too much. But of course, we're going to keep you guys up to date here at the Daily Peel. We'll see on Wednesday if any of this is on JPAL's mind or if it's something he wants to avoid. 
Uh, shout out to this LinkedIn user who arbitraged an entire 150 million locked into 2025. What an absolute legend. I mean, shout out to you. I wish you could see your name on there, but it does just say LinkedIn user. So congratulations to you for that. All right, let's move on to some stock movements of the day. Hope you guys are ready for a long live stream at this point, because we are going to be uh, playing quite a few videos here for you for each one of these names. Let's get into SoFi Technologies. And I think our producers are ready to kickstart with just that video. Shares popping double digits on those strong results, almost up 23% right now. CEO Anthony Noto joins us. Uh, Anthony, thanks for being here. Big quarter for you all. Uh, profitable one, record revenue across the three businesses. Solid, profitable uh, outlook as well. What are some of the key drivers that you think led to these results? Well, Leslie, thank you for having me on. You know, I, I'd say the strategy overall has really come uh, into play and delivered uh, exceptional results for the quarter. Six years ago, we embarked on this very ambitious strategy to be a one-stop shop for all your financial services needs. When I joined the company in February 2018, we were primarily just a lender and two products. Today, we offer not just four types of loans, including home loans, but we also offer SoFi Money, which is a modern checking and savings account, SoFi Invest, SoFi Credit Card, insurance products, and we also power 140 million accounts across the fintech industry through our technology platform that we outsource to our partners. Uh, this court, you know, he was asked about key drivers right there, but based on the looks of them, I think the only key drivers he's aware of comes from Callaway. Uh, but either way, SoFi, it's undeniable. They had an absolutely phenomenal quarter. Uh, you know, nobody ever wants to hear my two cents personally, but when SoFi reports two cents per share of earnings, Everybody freaks out. Shares are up over 20% on the day. I mean, SoFi, if you ask me, this was one of the fattest pitches in my entire investment career. Um, when Biden and the Trump administration, when they suspended student debt payments, that kind of created this opportunity where the stock got absolutely pummeled because that's SoFi's primary business is refinancing of loans, particularly student loans. So when those came back online in October of last year, really was a fat pitch for SoFi. Some banks were talking about it at the time, but either way, it, it clearly is working out pretty great for them. Uh, they saw a huge growth in student loan origination volumes, jumping 95% for the quarter. And I mean, don't even get me started on home loans for the quarter, spiking 193%, nearly tripling in just a three-month period. So definitely a great quarter for SoFi and the digital bank over there. Some might even say that it was SoFi, and I am cringing ridiculously hard at the idea that I even uh, just said that. But let's just pretend it didn't happen and go on to Ryanair. Ryanair, in case you guys don't know, this is an Irish airline, and I think they have one of the largest fleets of... Uh, like in terms of number of planes, I think they're one of the largest airlines in the entire world. They do a lot of travel just over, over the Irish Sea from, uh, you know, the island over to the UK. Uh, and so essentially we saw that they had a pretty good day yesterday as well. So essentially what happened was uh, they had a fairly good quarter. You know, it wasn't anything kind of blowing things out of the water. So we didn't include the numbers here today. But the only big scare going forward was rising fuel costs. So that's the reason that they did kind of rip on the day. But one thing that was interesting that they did say is these cheap scumbags over at Ryanair. I mean, the Irish are definitely known for being cheap, and Ryanair is definitely living up to that expectation. They said that uh, the airline would be buying any 737 MAX 10 aircraft that other airlines order but don't actually want to take delivery on. That means they're buying Boeing planes that other airlines are denying to purchase. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been staying up to date with Boeing planes lately, but they're having a tough time staying together. So... Ryanair, definitely a risky, you know, one of the more risky planes to be getting on these days if they do start purchasing those Boeing planes. But then again, you are just going over the Irish Sea. 
just have a nice quick swim over to the UK or over to Ireland, wherever you're looking to go. Uh, but this is one of those instances of what's good for investors is bad for customers. I definitely would feel a hell of a lot less safe on these planes, but I don't think Ryanair necessarily even cares. I saw an interview uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, with the CEO. I forget his name, but he said that if he was legally allowed to do so, there would be standing room on Ryanair planes that would be sold for one euro where you could just go stand over there for a quick little half-hour flight from Dublin over to London or whatever else it may be. Um, that would definitely be crazy to see. I kind of hope it happens at some point, not so I can go on there, but so I can laugh at everybody that does, especially if it's in a Boeing plane and ends up on the ground. All right, speaking of ending up on the ground, let's go ahead and take a look at iRobot. Not only is their main product the Roomba that kind of lives on the ground, but apparently the stock price does as well, especially when they break up with Amazon. Once again, iRobot is broke, Amazon is up. As these, uh, this merger agreement was called off by the tech behemoth, they basically just didn't care enough to purchase Roomba uh, to go through all this regulatory headache. I mean, I don't understand why they don't just steal the IP and create their own. That's what Facebook has done to Snapchat for its entire life and a bunch of other uh, tech companies at that point. So I don't know why Amazon can't do that. They definitely have the engineers to be able to build a fucking mini vacuum that rolls around the house. But, you know, I just really want to see personally a commercialized version of DJ Roomba. Uh, from Parks and Recreation. I don't know if any of you guys watched that show. The legend Tom Haverford, he had his own personal DJ robot. I really want one. So if they can get on that, somebody who is, uh, whose dad works at iRobot, feel free to just uh, let them know, shoot them a message from me. All right, and then we got Phillips. So Phillips, it's one of those most unpronounceable names I've ever seen in my life. So I just created, I just included the uh, Phillips portion of their name. This is a health tech conglomerate out of Amsterdam or out of the Netherlands. Uh, they had a tough day yesterday because... This company's been beefing with the FDA for quite a while. I didn't know anything about this until yesterday, but there's been some serious recalls over their sleep apnea products, and apparently there's some kind of foam that's literal poison. So obviously the FDA was like, hey, bro, you should probably stop selling that here in the United States. And that's what they ended up coming out with and saying yesterday is that Phillips is no longer allowed to sell their sleep apnea machines in the U.S. until they fucking actually adhere to regulatory standards like every other company does. So Tough day for them, down about 5.5%, but I'm sure they'll come back. All right, and then moving on to the final story of the day here. Uh, the reason that a lot of you might have missed today's edition, because we said BTC so goddamn much. But anyway, let's check in on these Bitcoin ETFs. So these were launched originally on January 11th of this year. It's been almost two full trading weeks, but really about 12 days in terms of total trading, uh, including today, that is. And it's been going pretty well for them. It's been quite the... Uh, Quite the tale of two cities, if you ask me, is BlackRock, Fidelity, they're really the only ones having a good time so far. ARK is doing pretty okay, but some of the other shittier no-name ones are having a tough time. Uh, but if we go ahead and take a look, we can take a look at some of the flows actually going into BlackRock's Bitcoin ETF, which is uh, under the ticker symbol IBIT. It's the iShares Bitcoin Trust, I believe is what that stands for. They are the first to reach $2 billion in total AUM. Keep in mind that's a function of both the number of Bitcoin that they own and Bitcoin's price. So as Bitcoin's price continues to rip, as I'm sure it will, uh, a lot of these other firms are going to be joining them there too. Fidelity is right on the cost. They have about $1.9 billion in total uh, assets under management in that uh, Bitcoin trust. And, you know, looking back, it was interesting to see the progression of BlackRock CEO's Larry Fink's opinion on Bitcoin exactly 2,024 days ago, which coincidentally also just happens to be the year. I mean, don't you just love when things work out like that? 2,024 days ago, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink said in an interview with Bloomberg, I don't believe any client has sought out crypto exposure. Now he has $2 billion worth of crypto on his platform under his company's management. 
oh, how the tables turn in just a six-year period. So checking in on the industry a bit more broadly, it's actually not going very well for many other people besides BlackRock and Fidelity. Easily the biggest loser so far has been Grayscale. Grayscale had about, I think it was 30-something billion in assets under management prior to the launch of these ETFs. They had a product called GPTC, which was uh, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, uh, some nonsense like that. Essentially, it was a trust that held Bitcoin for investors. Trusts are a lot more costly to run than a simple ETF or an exchange-traded fund is. So uh, a lot of people are dumping their holdings in Grayscale because they're charging nearly 10 times more than a lot of these other firms in terms of actually managing those assets. So they've seen $2.2 billion in outflows from GBTC uh, last week alone, while the rest of the industry gobbled up about $1.8 billion worth of inflows. So net-net, uh, $500 million in total outflows. That's factoring in all the other ones as well. Uh, and so there's no doubt that Bitcoin investors who, once again, have their cash locked up in GBTC, uh, you know, wanted to maintain that exposure, but they're dumping and moving to other managers for the much cheaper cost. It's about 1.5% of total assets at Grayscale, where it's uh, BlackRock and Fidelity are both at 25 basis points. I think Bitwise is actually 20 basis points themselves. But either way, definitely, uh, you know, a holiday coming up on January 11th next year as we celebrate this. As you guys can see, it was definitely a sell the news moment, at least temporarily by this Bitcoin price chart. We have been ripping higher since about the 23rd of January, but, you know, that's only over the past week or so. We all know how volatile Bitcoin and the rest of the crypto crew can be. So definitely don't stay too locked in on that. Overall, the number to remember is $5.94 billion in total funding has flowed into these ETFs in just the past couple of weeks alone. Let me know how much AUM you guys think that these things could get up to. Could they cross the 20 or $30 billion line before the end of the year here? Who knows? I'll put the over-under at $35 billion by the end of 2024. If anybody wants to take the over or the under on that, reach out to me and we can certainly set up those terms. All right, so let's get into the... Uh, what Vestor says, just a quote of the day. We have Mr. Luan, Leon Luo, who is a, a Nobel Prize nominee, actually. Because we're talking about Bitcoin, he knows the quote had to be on it as well. He said, every informed person needs to know about Bitcoin because it might be one of the world's most important developments. Now, definitely a smart thing to say. Keep in mind, this guy was just a Nobel Prize nominee. He didn't actually win it, which is completely embarrassing, if you ask me. I mean, that's just pathetic. But anyway, that about does it for our time here today. Thank you to you guys who stuck through with us here on the live stream. Once again, shout out to all of our listeners on the podcast and on the YouTube channel. Absolutely love you guys as well. Make sure to be commenting on our social feeds here too, so you can let us know uh, what you hate about us. I mean, I mean, keep telling me how much you guys hate my mustache too. I love to see all that kind of stuff. So definitely don't leave it alone. And of course, remember to leave us a rating for the peel here. But keep in mind, if you say it's rotten AF, I will come and burn your house down. All right. Thanks again, guys, for uh, sticking in, sticking through everything. Happy investing, happy trading, and of course, happy Wednesday. We will not see you guys tomorrow. I'll see you again on Thursday of next week. Keep in mind, I'm going on a little vacation here. So hope you guys have a great week. Hope the world doesn't fall apart while I'm gone. Once again, happy investing, happy trading, and I'll see you guys next Thursday. Bye now. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.